Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. For those that I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Adam, and I get to serve here at Calvary as our online pastor. And oh, I love you, Jersey. And honestly, being being a part of this church and being a part of the team really um, is. I've said it at the other services, and I, I truly mean it with full sincerity. It's really my biggest honor, with the exception of you know being my wife's husband. But this is really a privilege. It's an honor, and it's something that um, I thank God for that I get to be a part of this. And um, and yeah, thankfully today I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. And today is Palm Sunday, so that's a day to celebrate. So, you know, at least for me, I, I've come to notice that Palm Sunday is one of those days that you, it's very easy to overlook. It's significant, but it's also easy to overlook because Easter is the highlight. Like Easter, you know, we say this sometimes when we're talking about Easter. It's the Super Bowl of Christianity. Like Palm, Palm Sunday is like, okay, it's the all-star game. Like not that many people are going to watch it. It's still great. At least that's the perspective that I've gotten. But it's so significant. What I like to say, what I shared earlier and what I want to share here is I look at Palm Sunday, or I look at really this next week, which is Holy Week, Passion Week. I look at Palm Sunday as, as like the first, the first pit stop as we take a long road trip, right? So like think of it where you're, you know you're going to drive at least like three, four hours and you're going to have to fill up your, your gas tank. You go to 7-Eleven and you get some water, you get some drinks, the whole night. Like Palm Sunday is that first pit stop. Good Friday is going to be our next rest stop and then Easter is our destination. So today is so significant and it's so important that we lean in to what today really means and not just treat it like any other Sunday. But Palm Sunday, the, the, the record of Palm Sunday, the story that surrounds Palm Sunday is, is so significant. It's so important. It's actually one of the few things that's shared in all four of the Gospels. See, the Bible is broken up into two halves. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Essentially, uh, before Jesus and then after Jesus. And in the, in the New Testament, there are four books called the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, um, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are basically eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life here on earth and his ministry. So whenever something is mentioned in all four, again, it, it communicates significant. It's basically God saying, I don't want you to miss this. I actually want to, I want you to see this through this many different lenses. So Palm Sunday is extremely, extremely important. We're going to go ahead and read the Palm Sunday story. And uh, if you want to do your homework during the week and you want to, you know, go ahead and study and get in God's word, it's actually recorded. I'll tell you the chapters in Matthews in chapter 21 and Mark chapter 11, Luke chapter 19, and then John chapter 12. Today we're going to be reading the account from the book of Mark. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 11, just to give you some, some Easter eggs, right? Just a couple of fun facts. So the book of Mark is written by a man by the name of John Mark. John Mark was just, he was, he was a student of the word. He was actually a right-hand man at one point to Paul and to Peter. And many theologians believe that while it was physically written by John Mark, uh, this is actually the apostle Peter's account. So Peter, the, the apostle that was he was shot out. Like he, he would, he would scream. He cut a guy's ear off. Like Peter is giving his account of who Jesus is and John Mark is recording it. And what I, and what we're going to pick up right now in Mark chapter 11, uh, just to give you some, uh, a chronological reference. So this is all happening. This is what's considered the Jesus's triumphant, 
entry into Jerusalem. And during this time, like this is actually happening right after Jesus resurrected a, fr- a, a man, a friend of his by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And then also right after he healed a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. So here he is entering Jerusalem from Jericho. And if you're at Mark chapter 11, can you say amen? Oh man, you guys are good. You guys are fast. All right, cool. So if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It's going to come up on the screens. But let's read. Starting off in chapter 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and, it will, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, which are the palms. Hence, Palm Sunday. Kind of all makes sense now. And uh, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So here's this, here's this scene. Here's this beautiful picture of Jesus riding on a colt, which was a donkey, into Jerusalem while these people are celebrating him and really praising him and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, like they're, they're screaming uh, praises onto him. And we know this in retrospect, but those same people who are singing praises onto him within a matter of days will be saying, crucify him. And we're going to expand on this and we're going to break this down a little bit and what we can gather from the Palm Sunday story. But really, these people had a wrong expectation of Jesus. And really, how when, when we form expectations, it, it, cha- it forms how we view certain situations and how we view God. So if you're writing notes, the topic that we're going to be speaking out of, the title that I've given this message is called Views. Views. And uh, I stole that from a Drake album. So... Uh, Yeah, (laughs) but uh, before we unpack this, before we dive in more into God's word, why don't we go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads and let's ask God to bless this time. So Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Lord, we thank you just for your mercy and the, the privilege we have to gather here, God, for everyone that's here in person or even those online. God, I ask that everyone under the sound of my voice, God, would, would gain a new perspective of who you are, God, that we wouldn't just uh, hear another message, hear a couple of uh, people's skills and call it Christianity, but Lord, we would have an encounter with you because nothing can change unless we have an encounter with you. So Holy Spirit, take this time, Lord. I pray that you would uh, take these words, that they wouldn't be mine, but they would be yours. Anoint my lips to declare your word, God. It would be my voice, but it would be your message, Jesus, that you would break it down and may it land on every heart, however you seem fit. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. So, um, I am 29 years old. Uh, In eight months, I'm going to be 30. I'm going to hit the the dirty 30, as some people say. And uh, while, yes, I'm relatively young, I'm 29 again, um, 
I had to grow up pretty young. So like my, my father, he passed away when I was 13. And I had, a, I had my first job when I was 12 years old. So I have been working my entire life. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18, 19 years old. So I, I, again, I experienced life a lot sooner than a lot of people. So because of that, I've, I've been able to... Uh, I guess experience certain things and as many of you know that when you go through certain experiences in life you come to draw some conclusions in the way that you think and the way that you you expect things to happen and in the 29 years that I've been alive and uh, I've come to very few absolutes like absolutely yes and absolutely no one of them I'm going to share with you and uh, that is I believe there are two types of people in this world again I'm going to share it with you guys and don't judge me on this but I believe there are two types of people in this world And they are, number one, people who nap and people who do not nap. Again, people who nap and people, anybody here, you're like, you would call yourself a napper. You like napping in the middle of the day. You're good. Okay. uh, I'm going to pray for all of you. Um, All right. Or maybe how about the other group? The people who are like myself, that napping is foreign. We can't make it happen. Okay, cool. You guys are my people. You guys are my people. Amazing. Amazing. So for me, sleep has always been foreign. I had like, even, even as a baby, I I remember my parents uh, telling me, obviously when I was older, but they would tell me when I was a baby that uh, for me, it was so hard to put me to sleep. Like they would have to sometimes in the middle of the night, put me in a car and they'll drive around for me to go to sleep, which pretty much implies I was a difficult baby, but that's neither here nor there. Like for me to sleep, it's, it's just difficult. I, I can't, like it's either I'm gonna, I can't sleep at all or I'm gonna just stay knocked out to Lord knows when. Like I'm gonna hibernate. So my wife and my mother-in-law they are what I like to call nappers. They, they, they enjoy napping. I was actually discussing this with them uh, recently. And for example, my, my mother-in-law, she's the type of person that she can go through an entire day of work, right? We're talking the full eight and a half hours. She's working and that's, that's, mental, that's, that's mentally draining. And then if she wants, she will go ahead and clean the house. She'll work in the garden, physical labor. And then it's like 7.15 at night. And she says, you know what? I'm just going to take a quick power nap. <laughs> A 15-minute power nap. What is that? So either way, she ends up going to sleep. She can take that 15-minute power nap, and she wakes up like she's the energizer buzzy. She has all the energy in the world, super spunky, like all over the place, which for me, I'm like, what type of witchcraft is that? That doesn't make sense. And then my wife, she, she can go to sleep like, like this. Like The moment she says, hey, I'm going to bed, I, I have to expect that she's going to be asleep within two minutes, so I got to do my best not to make any noise. So... My wife is another one that as soon as she clocks out of work, say it's like 5.30 p.m. on a weekday and we still have to like maybe go grocery shopping or maybe we have to do something with the dog or she needs to cook dinner, whatever it is, my wife will say at 5.30 p.m., you know what, I'm going to take a quick nap. She'll be asleep for about a half hour, wake up at 6 p.m., go ahead and do everything under the sun. Like she can go ahead and walk the dog, bathe the dog, cook food, whatever it is, file her taxes, really whatever. She'll, she'll do it all and then still be able to go to bed at 10 p.m. And I don't, know how, I don't know how they do that. Like, that doesn't make sense for me. I, I know I would be asleep to Lord. I, I mean, I'll be awake till I'll have to pull all-nighter. I have no choice. So here's the thing, because I am an outspoken non-napper. Yes, that is, that is the name of my, my demographic. We are non-nappers. Um, because I'm an outspoken non-napper, my wife and my mother-in-law, they constantly try to convince me. And they, they try to say, no, you should, you should try it out. You're going to feel so refreshed right after. You're going to feel amazing. You, you don't want to drink that extra cup of coffee. You got to go ahead and take a quick nap. And you know what? They were pretty compelling. They had, a, they had a really good argument. And at one point, I was like, you know what? Because I follow Jesus and now I'm open-minded and I'm going to make changes in my life. I go ahead and I say, you know what? I don't know what you're selling, 
but I'll take six. I'm going to buy it, right? So I go ahead and I, I entertain the idea of napping. So what me and my wife started doing over the last few weeks is called family nap time. So family nap time is, say, on a Saturday, if we've had a really busy morning, or say, after here on a Sunday around like 3, 4 p.m. by the time I get home, it will be me, her, and then our little puppy Gohan will get to bed and we'll have family nap time. And it's beautiful, and it's cute, and it sounds cute, right? But here's the thing about when I've been engaging in family nap time. We'll go to, you know, we'll, we'll take our nap at about 4.30 p.m. And my wife will wake up at 5, 5.30, and she's good. Like, she's, she's all right. And she will, again, do everything under the sun. But then I find myself waking up at 11 o'clock at night. And now I have, I have to wake up early the next day, and I can't go back to sleep. Do <laughs> so I got to take a melatonin? Like, I, I'm stuck. And now I'm, I'm stuck late at night while she's asleep. My dog's asleep, too, and I'm just like... What do I do with my hands? Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, they had set up this expectation for me. They had, they had sold me on this idea, and I had this expectation that napping was going to make me feel refreshed. But when I woke up, I was more tired. I was grumpy. I was groggy. I woke up sweating. Like, it was terrible. So now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare right now, on March 28th, 2021, I will not ever engage in napping ever again. I'm over it. I am officially a non-napper for life. And while this is a, a lighthearted illustration, the reality is this, this pattern of thinking of, of when our expectation is a man and we turn our backs on it can easily creep into our relationship with God. See, I don't, I'm going to pose this question to you, and, and you don't have to answer it right now, but just think about it. What happens when God does not meet your expectations? Or better yet, what happens when God doesn't meet the expectations that you put on him? Because what can easily happen, just like these people, is that we can go ahead and project expectations onto God. We can project expectations onto Jesus. So we, we believe that, hey, you know what, God? I'm, I'm expecting for you to, to help me with my finances. You are the ultimate. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're going to provide. You're going to come through. But then in 2020, you got laid off and you didn't get a stimulus check. Or maybe you, you said, you know what, God? I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe for you to, to go ahead and move in my finances and all this. And I'm going to pray for this raise. I'm expecting you, God, to deliver this raise at work because I worked so hard, but you didn't get it. Or you put this expectation on God that he, well, yes, he is an ultimate physician and he does heal. And you put this expectation on him that you're going to be healed or a friend or a family member, they're going to be healed from COVID or sickness, but yet they're still sick. They still got a dry cough and they're not, it's not meeting the expectations that you put on him. And what can easily happen is when God doesn't meet our expectations is that we can easily become cynical. We can then start believing that nothing good is ever going to come. We can always expect the worst. What can easily happen is that we will turn our backs on God. We will lose trust in God. We will lose our faith in God and, and maybe think maybe he's not as good as people say he is because he's not really living up to his reputation. But that's a, that's, that's, that's a, that's a horrible trap to fall into. Because we shouldn't, we shouldn't, well, yes, we should be expecting and believe for God to move, right? But the problem is we shouldn't set expectations for him to move on our terms and conditions. What can easily happen is based on our biases and on our experiences and on our frame, our, our way of thinking, we can project that onto God and say, you know, God, if you don't do this my way, then it's the highway, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be because, again, how, we, how our expectations are formed will dictate how we view a situation. And how, and how our expectations are projected onto God will then change how we view God. See, the big problem here is that when we have a false expectation of God, we develop the wrong view of God. 
when we have a false, when we have false expectations of God, we develop the wrong view, the wrong perspective of God. That's why we have to allow him to form our expectations. We have to allow him to frame it. Not not our own biases, not our own history, but allow him through his word and what he says and who he says he is to form those expectations. See, the people in Jerusalem at that time, they had they had the same the same problem that all of us can easily fall into, and that is again projecting expectations onto God. Because we think, you know what, you should do it this way. You know, if I was God, I would do it this way. But the thing is we're not. We're not God. We're not all-knowing. We're not omniscient. We're not all-powerful. He is. And the thing is, is that their perspective led to their wrong view of Jesus. Again, like I mentioned a moment ago, these same people who were praising him, within a matter of days, were saying, crucify him. People, like these people were fickle. They were, they were like, hey, we love you one day, and you, you need to die the next day. Like, it's because they're perspective their expectation of who Jesus was was off see the and, and you know the, the crazy part is and, and again this is this is something that we can all fall into while their expectation was was based while it was inspired by the written word of God because these people in that in that day and age they they read their but they read what what the, the, the Hebrew Bible they they read the Bible they understood it they they read the prophets and saying that the the messianic king will come from the line of David that he will come riding on a colt on a donkey lowly right they, they read all that they they made they, they knew how to bring in a king into a city see when when the people were laying down their cloaks and laying down the palm branches that was a custom that was actually mentioned in second Kings chapter 9 where the people would lay down their cloaks and they would go ahead and, and make it so that we we are endorsing you as king. We believe that you are king. So as you come in, how that you you should not um, walk on dirty ground, but say you should be honored. And that's how they and that's how they honored Jesus. They they expected him to be king. But the thing is, is while they expected him to be king, Jesus, while he is king, but they did not see him as savior. And that's ultimately who Jesus is. He is king of kings and lord of lords, but he is also savior. Yeah. So while they coronated this king coming in, coming into Jerusalem on a colt, what happens is that they were expecting Jesus to be an earthly king. They had expected for him to deliver them from, from Roman oppression. See, the, in the context of when this is all happening, the, the people of Israel were under the Roman government. The Roman government, they were under the, the law of Caesar. They weren't, they weren't on their own. The, Israel had not been restored at that time. So all they ever wanted to do was basically revolt. They just didn't have the means to do that. They didn't have a leader to do it. So they were expecting Jesus, again, from the line of David, the messianic king, to come through and deliver them and to also prosper them, to to deliver them, to go ahead and change their economic status, to make it so that they don't have to be under that governance. But Jesus didn't quite meet that expectation. He came as king, and he is king. But the thing is that their, their perspective was off. Their view of him was off because... He is also Savior. See, also, uh, again, these people, they, this, this wasn't new for them. They, 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 they read the Messianic Psalms. They read the Psalms that, that, that spoke of Jesus ahead of time. See, during, during this time in the Passover week, it was a custom, and it, it was custom for, for the Jewish people to, to sing these songs. They were called the Hallels, right? And, so, and one specifically that they're quoting back to him that we read a moment ago is actually from Psalm 118. We'll read it right now where it says... Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Bless is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. 
See, the people were paraphrasing this because that word that, we, that was mentioned, Hosanna, which we're going to break that down in a little bit, but Hosanna means save us. So they're singing this psalm out to Jesus. Again, their expectation was, was inspired and rooted by the word. It was like us. Jesus says he's healer, so we're going to expect him to heal. But again, they were, their viewpoint and their expectation was all based on their terms. So I'll ask this question again. What happens when God doesn't meet your expectation? What do you do? What do we do? What happens when he doesn't meet the expectation that we put onto him? That's, that's a dangerous place to be. We have to make sure that the expectations that we put on God or how we're expected of him is, again, based off of his word, based off of who he says he is and how he will do it. Not based off of us. I don't know about you, but I am very guilty of, of pretty much negotiating with God. Like, God, if you do this, I'm going to do this. God, if you come through, I promise I'll never go on that website again. Like, how many, how many of us have been there? God, if you, just, if you just help me win the lotto, I promise I'll do all this. I'll go to church more often. I'll do all, right? How many times do we negotiate with God? But again, it's all based off of how we want it. And while, yes, he does provide, and while, yes, he comes through, and while, yes, Jesus will, like, he, he comes to bring us wholeness and fulfillment, it's not going to be based off of our plans, but on his. See, if there's really anything that you get from today is really just that our view of God is so important. And the reason why is because I believe that life with the right view of God leads to a powerful life with God. Life with the right view of God leads to a powerful life with God. What I mean by that is when we live life with the right view of who Jesus is, of who God is, of how he will deliver us and how he will come through for us and how, how he works, then that means that we, get to, we will then be able to live a life of faith, a faith that, that really is so engulfed in so much trust that when people look at us, you would, be, you would be an example of what faith is. That when you can be going through the hardest time of your life, that you can be literally going through hell and that people will look to you and know what your situation is but then wonder there's something different about you is because you live on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, that you live, that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he is for you. You will live not unshaken, but unmoved, right? When you live with the right, with the, with the right view of God, when you live with the right, the right perspective of who God is, then we won't be fickle. We won't be like the people shouting Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. See, when, when we view him the right way, then that means we open ourselves up more to him to use us in a more profound way. See, nothing, nothing's the same when we view Jesus the right way. Our relationships aren't the same. Our families aren't the same. Our friendships aren't the same. Our marriages aren't the same. Because again, we're building on the right foundation that is Jesus Christ. That song we sang, I will build my life. That's what we will be able to do and live a life that is more profound. A life that taps into his Holy Spirit. A life that is tapping into the full anointing that God has for you. But how do we do that? <laughs> All right, we talked about the who, the what. Talked about Palm Sunday, but, but how, do, how does this Palm Sunday story, like, how does this apply to that? How does this apply to how we should, how we should view God in our expectations, right? Like, how does this, how, what does this mean for us now? And really, what I find in the text is three things I want to share, and these are really just reminders for whenever we start forming expectations and put them onto God. Again, it's not going to be projected based off ourselves, but again, based off of his word and based off of his promises. And the first thing that we can, that we can see here is that he has a plan. He has a plan. See, God isn't in heaven throwing the dice and seeing where they land. Jesus doesn't do things on, on a whim. Like Jesus is not taking a chance with anything. He has a plan. 
The Bible tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He, he knows the beginning from the end. He has, but he is strategic. And what's crazy is this, that even when we are not living according to his plan, right, which is his will, he always has a backup plan. And then a backup plan to the backup plan. Think of it this way, that when, you, when you're driving with a GPS and you miss your exit off the highway, what's going to happen? It's going to reroute you. And that's what God does. He has a plan for your life. See, going back to the Palm Sunday story, in verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untied and bring it here. So that's like, that's, that's the original plan. And even if, just in case if people go ahead and try to push back on the plan, here's the backup. Here's what you got to do. Um, and, and if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. He has a plan. And at least for me, what's, what's crazy is that, and, 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 and please bear with me right now, follow my train of thought. I like to put myself in, in like the disciples' shoes. Right, I can just imagine being there in that scene. Jesus at a table and he goes, hey, you know what, guys? Here's what I need you to do. Uh, I need you to go into the city, go find me a colt, bring it, and if anyone questions you about it, just say, God sent you. Put it on my tab. And then I can imagine being, being, being there as a disciple, just like, wait, wait, you're God. Like, you're, you're Jesus. Why, why do you want a colt? Why do you want a donkey? Like, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, what? Wait, but you want me to bring it here? Why do, you, why do you want me to go to the street and find a random cult? Like this, this doesn't make sense. And I can imagine them being so confused. But what do we see in the text is that they were obedient even in not knowing why and how and really the whole grand scheme of things. See, they, they trust and what we need to do is trust that he has a plan. And what happens is that when we're obedient in God's plan, even when we don't understand is that it builds up our faith. It builds up our trust in him so that when the uncertainty of life continues to come our way, that we can still trust in knowing that even in the middle of pain, even in the middle of turmoil, even in the middle of hardship, that he has a plan. See, maybe, maybe you're in here today and, you know, let's say your life has, has led you to a point where God has failed your expectations. And maybe you've kind of like given up and maybe, you know, you've expected God to come through for you and to heal and, and to, to really work on your behalf. Maybe, maybe you expected God to, to help you with finding a job, but you're on your fifth interview and you still haven't gotten an offer. Maybe you expected for, for God to heal a family member, to heal a loved one, to heal a friend, but they just passed away. Maybe you... You expected for God to be the great restorer and bring your marriage back together. But you just signed the divorce papers. Maybe right now in the middle of your pain where it's right here in front of you, it's, it's very hard to, to believe that God has a plan. Trust me, I know that firsthand. It's very easy that when it's right in front of you to believe that God has a plan. But when you push it back and you can see in, 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 in hindsight and in retrospect that he really does do everything for a reason. And maybe you, you've already have this view of God that he's just a celestial being, this, this monarch in, in, in space that, that hates you, because, that all he wants to do is do everything bad to you, to punish you, and that he's a bully. Again, how we view God matters. Because I'll tell you, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. He loves you, and he wants nothing but the best for you. See the, But don't allow me to tell you that. Allow his word to tell you that. Let's go back. Let's go. Let's go into the text word. Jeremiah 29, 11, It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What? Plans to what? To prosper you 
and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He has plans for you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. And I really hope for anybody in here that as you just read that, as you, I, I want you to write this down and believe that in your heart, that he is not against you, he is for you. That he wants nothing but the best for you. And again, in the middle of pain, it's really hard to, to believe that. That's the, I'd be lying to you if I told you every single time I went through a hard time that I believe that. But again, that's why it's a, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that he has a plan because every ounce of pain that we experience in this life has a purpose and it also has an end. So Jesus has a plan. But again, that's a plan for your life. What about a plan through your life, right? Because a lot of us, maybe the expectation we had that we, we become a Christian, we join Dream Team, we join the church, and we, were, we had this expectation that we were going to join this great community and be, like, be highlighted every single time we had a DNA night and all that. But that expectation was not met. And then you probably now believe that God wants nothing to do with you, that he doesn't have a plan for you. There's no way that he can ever use you because, you're not, because you feel you're not gifted in anything. Again, that's a lie. Because let's go back to his word. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that for we are God's handiwork. Another translation says that we are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. And I'll be the first one to tell you that there have been many times in my life where I do not feel like a masterpiece. I feel more like that Art Basel piece that was a banana with duct tape. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't feel like a masterpiece. But again, that's my feeling. And that's my expectation that I'm going to project to God. No, 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 no. Instead, allow his word to tell us, allow his word to tell us that we are his master. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But good works in which what? Let's read it out together. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. He knows the beginning from the end. And when we can live our lives and when we can continue to create expectations of who God is and how God's going to move in our lives and remember that he has a plan, then we can rest in knowing that once again, he knows the beginning from the end. Amen. First thing is he has a plan. The second thing that we can take from this text is that he's near to us. He's near to us. Like, besides the fact that, that Jesus being fully man and fully God stepped down from heaven to come to earth, which shows us that we don't have to go to him. He came to us, right? Besides all that, he, he, he rode into Jerusalem on this colt, again, a donkey, a mini horse. He, he rode in on a colt, so humble, so meek, so lowly. See, the reason why, the reason why this is so profound is because it, it, this was established really in the, in the 13th, 14th century that in, 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 in that time, horses, for example, horses are, are not measured in feet. They're not measured by like how long they are or anything like that. They're measured in, in, a, in a system called hands. So it was established that four fingers put together is a hand. And the, the more hands of the horse, the taller the horse is measured from the bottom of their hoof to their shoulder. And what would happen is that if you were a common folk, if you were someone that wasn't in the military, that wasn't in, that wasn't in like government or anything like that, you would have maybe a horse that was about, let's say 12 to 15 hands, right? Like you would have a horse that high. Then if you were someone that was a general in the army or you were in, in the army, you were in government, you were in some form of authority, then you would have a horse a little taller. You would want a horse that was about 20 hands. But if you were a king, 
If you were a king, they would refuse to take anything less than double of that. They wanted, they wanted a horse that looked like it was taking steroids. They wanted, they wanted a horse with like 30 hands because they wanted, they wanted people to visually see that I am on top, that I am number one, I am the king. But here we are with Jesus, fully God, fully man, human and divine, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, riding in on a donkey. We're talking about some, a, 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 a colt that was like maybe eight hands at best. He was riding, he was riding into Jerusalem on a German shepherd. Like, but, but that's, that, that, for me, that is mind-boggling because how can someone that great, someone that divine, fully man and fully God, really communicate the humility in such a way that where he says, hey, not only did I come to you, but I'm here with you. He's near to us. He's near to us. See, and going back to the text, it says that when they brought the cloak to Jesus and threw their, clo- their cloaks over it, he sat on it. He sat on it. See, what's, it's not communicated in, in the book of Mark, but if you go to the book of John or the book of Matthew, it says that he was actually brought two cults. He was brought a mother and then her, her basically the, 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 the child. Essentially, it would be the fold, which is, if you get like a litter of puppies, it's the, it's the runt. So he could have still had the opportunity to ride something a little higher. He traded in a good bike for a tricycle. You know what I mean? Like that's, just think of it that way that Jesus humbled himself so much and wanted to get close to his people that he rode on a coat and his coronation. See, maybe life has, has, de- has dealt you a hand where maybe your expectations of God again we're not met and you feel like he's far off in the distance that he wants absolutely nothing to do with you that he doesn't hear your prayers he doesn't he doesn't empathize with you he doesn't feel your pain but the reality is he is so close he's an ever-present help he is with you in it all he is near and even though you may not feel the presence of God because the reality is the Holy Spirit was not meant to be felt. While yes, he can be felt, but feeling God was not something he promised, but he did promise to be with you. He did promise to be with you. When you draw near to him, he draws near to you. That's, that's the thing. We got we to gotta view God from the right lens. We got we to gotta remember that he says that I'm with you at all times. I'm, I'm with you to the end of the age. Never where I leave you, never where I forsake you. See, going, like, another psalm that communicates that so beautifully is in Psalm 145. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. See, God's not far off. God is with you in the midst of whatever pain, whatever situation you're going through, whatever hardship may come your way, whatever, whatever agony you may be dealing with. He empathizes with you. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest that empathizes with us because he experienced the same pain, the same temptations that we deal with today. So he's not far off. But again, we got, we got to make sure that we don't project that expectation on him based off of how we think he should be and how close we think he should be. Instead, allow him to frame that for us. So the first thing is, God, ha- he has a plan. The second is, he's near to us. And the third thing that we can pull from this Palm Sunday story is that he saves. He saves. Going back here, it says that those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. So when they were in the middle of the street and they were shouting Hosanna, they weren't just like, Hosanna. 
they were screaming off the top, out of the top of their lungs. They were like, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. See, here's the thing about the word Hosanna. Like, I was raised in a church. My family, they would, uh, they would take me, my brother, and my sister to a church. The thing is that we were, I was raised in a, in, a, in a Spanish church. And the thing is, I don't know Spanish. So I would go, and I didn't understand anything. I understand sangre, I understand Jesus, and, you know, I understand some words, right? Biblia, right? <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning. So I knew of God, but I didn't know God. Right? And because I knew of him, I created this false narrative and these false expectations of him. And growing up in the church, again, I would always around this time of the year, you would hear the word Hosanna. That is also the same word in Spanish. So I would hear Hosanna all the time. And what I've come to notice is that a lot of times in the church today, we take the word Hosanna and we look at its English translation, which is English translation means praise, which is great. But let's remember, the Bible is not written to us, it's written for us. And when I, by it being written for us, we now have to put ourselves in the context of when it was originally written. So when these people are quoting this psalm, when they're saying, save us, remember, that's in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, the word Hosanna means save now. Save me now. Like there's an urgency. It's actually broken down as Hosan. And then the na is to create that emphasis for now. So it's Hosanna, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It's, it's written for us to, to understand that God saves. And these people are proclaiming that he saves. Again, he did come to save. Maybe not to the expectation that they wanted it to deliver them from the Roman government. But instead, he came to save them in their souls. He came to, he came to save them spiritually. And in their hearts. See... For those that uh, may not know my story, so yeah, I was raised in a church and yeah, I was, um, I knew of God, but again, I didn't always know God. And I remember actually when I was 13 and my dad passed away, as I mentioned a moment ago, and I'll put these false expectations on him. I remember the first words that literally came out of my mouth when in the house I grew up in, I looked down the hallway and I see a paramedic telling my mother that he's gone. I hug my aunt and I just remember vividly just saying, I hate God because he failed my expectation. Again, now I understand in retrospect that God is sovereign and while, while he did not heal my dad on this side of eternity, I know he did on the other. So like, that's, that, that's, 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 that's just my story, but I live my life and, and the thing is I grew, I grew up really quick, as I mentioned earlier, and, and, I, and I started being exposed to adult things a lot, a lot sooner than I should have. And um, by the time I'm about 22, 23 years old, I get offered an amazing opportunity and I, and I get relocated by a company to Charlotte, North Carolina. I lived there for a year. And on paper, I'm living my best life. Like I'm making more money than I ever had. I have everything I can ever want. I have all the leisure time. Like I'm, I'm doing pretty well on paper. But internally, it was the worst year of my life. And I say that because during that year, literally every single day, now, I'm not saying that as an, as an exaggeration. I mean, literally every single day, I battled depression. I thought about killing myself every single day. Every single day, if I was driving to work, it was about a 20-mile drive to and from work. And I just remember vividly just hand on the steering wheel and thinking, now would be a good time to drive off this hill. 
now would be a good time. Like every single day I felt like I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't, I felt so, so like I felt trapped. I felt like I was in this box, like a, think of like a phone booth and you're in this glass box and I can barely move. And the entire time while I'm trying to get out of this, I'm like, it's like, it's as if, it's as if I'm trying to stop on the bottom of this glass box, trying to make it crack so I can just fall through and that's it. I'm done for every single day. And I remember one day specifically, this was like, this was, a, this was the night that if it was going to happen, this was it. Like, game over. I'm done. I'm checked out. I'm clocked out. Here's the keys. I don't, like, I'm done. And then I remember being in my bedroom at that point, bawling my eyes out, feeling filthy, feeling so much shame, feeling so much condemnation, feeling like I didn't want to live anymore. And I just scream out, God, if you're real, help. Hosanna. And I'll tell you this, that I've never heard, I can't describe to you, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I just felt him say to me and put in my heart that, get up, you're going to be okay, I'm here to help you. And I remember feeling like he, Hosanna, right, save now. And he saved me now in that moment. I remember, I remember I was on my floor sitting and then I just feel this overwhelming sense of peace and I just feel like as if he picked me up from my shirt and sat me down on my bed and as I go and I sit down on my bed I open up my nightstand and in my nightstand I pull out this small devotional book that my my now wife at the time ex-girlfriend gave me five years prior that I don't even know how in the world it followed me to North Carolina but it was there for a reason and I open up this book and it says you were born to triumph for this you were born and it's having all these psalms saying that you are meant to live that you that God has a plan for your life you are called reading these psalms I say you will have sweet sleep reading these words that I could not comprehend at the time. And he hosanna, he saved now. But that's my story. What about you? What do you need saving from? Maybe you have a relationship with God and, and you feel and you know you're eternally saved. But what situation are you going through right now that you need saving from? What situation are you going going through right now that you need to cry out with your heart, Hosanna! Save now! And God can, and He will. And we can expect that of Him. But let's make sure that we don't project those expectations onto Him based off of how we feel, but instead based off of who He says He is. Right? So, maybe you're in a situation that you feel so lonely and you feel depressed because you don't have community. God can hold Santa. He can save now. Get in community. Join a connect group. Maybe, maybe you're here and you just feel like you're going through life aimlessly. You feel like you have no purpose. Hold Santa. Help me, God. Save me now. He will, he will give you community. Keep on coming to church. Join Dream Team. Be a part of something bigger than yourself. There's... There's all these things that we can project onto God, but again, we gotta, we gotta be careful with that because when we have false expectations of him, we have the wrong view of him. But remember, when we live life with the right view of him, we live a powerful life with him. Hosanna, he saves. He has a plan. He's near to us and he saves. He has a plan. 
He's near to us. And he says, say this with me. Like, let's declare this over our lives. He has a plan. He's near to us. And he saves. One more time. He has a plan. He's near to us. And he saves. And if we can all just stand to our feet. What I want to do as we close out here is I, I really want to... I really want to pray for a group of people here and if I can just ask as we stand up to our feet if we can just close our eyes and bow our heads it's really a moment of just concentration a moment of reverence what I want to do is I want to give somebody here the opportunity who maybe needs that saving right now who maybe needs Jesus to save them right now that you want to you want to step into a relationship with him so that now as you form your expectations of him it's based off of he, he has a plan for your life. He is near to you and that he, he can and will save you. See, the Bible tells us that we all have fallen short of God's, God's standard. We're all sinners. We, we all have missed the mark. I've sinned, you've sinned. We all have. Just because I'm here with a Bible and, and a microphone doesn't make me perfect. I am far from it. And the thing is with sin is that it separates us from God. God is holy. He, he can't. He can't be around sin. He can't see sin. But he had a plan. And he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came to earth. He came near to us because we can never earn our way to him. Fulfilled every standard that we could not meet. Lived a blameless life. Lived a sinless life. And then gave himself up on a cross. A cross to be humiliated. To be, to be stripped naked. To be stabbed. To be given a crown of thorns. To be spat on and punched. And, and to, be, to be killed. And on that cross he died. But because he is all powerful. Three days later he rose again to defeat the sting of death. And all we have to do is declare with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord and that he rose from the dead and he will Hosanna, he will save now. So with eyes so closed and heads still bowed, what I want to do is I want to give someone an opportunity to make that decision to say, Jesus, I want this free gift of forgiveness. I need you to save now. Hosanna, Hosanna. And if that's you, I'm going to count to, the count, I'm going to, I'm going to, count to, to three and I'm going to ask if you could put your hand up and you could put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to know who I'm praying for. I want to acknowledge you. So if that's you and you want to, Hosanna, you're saying that in your heart right now. And you want to accept Jesus into your heart. On the count of three, put your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same again. Three, if that's you, but you can put your hand right up. Amen. Amen. God bless you. 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 I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. Amazing. Amazing. And with eyes still closed and heads still bowed, really what I want to do, if you made that decision, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a, a prayer to a pastor. It's not a prayer to a church. It's a prayer to God. It's simply dialogue, but I want to facilitate it for you and make this one as easy as possible. And because here at Calvary, we are a family, we're going to say it all together. It's a simple repeat after me prayer. And it goes like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sins. And on the third day, you resurrected. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my friend and be my savior. From today on, I am forgiven. I am healed and I will follow you all the days of my life. 
Lord, I love you and I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give a round of applause for everybody making that decision today? Amazing. Amazing. And look, if you made that decision today, I want to just say congratulations. It's really my honor to be able to have led you in that. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And while I cannot promise you that from today on that your life is going to be perfect and that your life is going to be easy, I can't promise you this, that you have the one who is perfect. You have the one whose burden is easy with you. And if you made that decision today, actually, we have a free gift for you. Thank you so much, Danny. What we want to do is we want to give you this free Bible. It's our gift from us to you. And maybe you have the Bible app on your phone or an iPad, or you can always look it up online, or you have a Bible at home. Guess what? You don't have this one. So please, like, do not leave out of here without getting one. You're going to see a tent right out front with people waving this around. We just want to get connected with you, really congratulate you. You don't, you don't have to give up any information. We just want to put this in your hands. Or maybe if you don't feel comfortable going up to the tent or if you're watching online, go ahead and text the word decided to 33222. We'll be happy to send one to you through the mail. But uh, please, like, this is, this is from us to you. Our gift, it is a free 99. So please don't leave out of here without one. Thank you so much. And I really hope this bless somebody. I really hope that as we as we contemplate this next week, as we go through Holy Week, Passion Week, and as we continue to be expectant for what God's going to do on Easter, when we throw a party, that we will remember that He has a plan, Amen. that He's near to us, and that He saves. Well, church, I love you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and uh, leave out here with a party. We're going to go crazy. Josh, I want you to, to just like lead us crazy, man. And uh, before we do and go about our Sunday, I want to pray for your week, and then we'll uh, throw a party here. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness and grace, God. We thank you for just the fact that you have a plan for us, that you are with us, and that, Lord, you save us. So, God, go before every person this week. May they have the best week ever, God. Protect them. Anybody who needs healing, bring healing, God. Bring provision, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.